Okay, so brief introductions. Who are you? Who am I? Who are you? Well, you should know that. I'm your father. Well, for the sake you of know, those for the sake I mean, of those that are I mean, I know that. For the sake of those that are listening, oh, okay. elaborate on who you are. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you just sort of like a little lapse on your memory there no. or something. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm uh John Carpenetta referred to me as Johnny C and I'm referred to as one and you're two and this is three over here. Bass player, piano player, drumist. Uh-huh. We play at St. Charles Barmeo because Our Lady of Fatima is closed. And the funny story about St. Charles Barmeo, Monsignor Delaman came over and said, uh, who are you? And I said the same thing. I'm Johnny C. He said, wait a minute. The piano player said, he's Johnny C. And I said, yeah, Monsignor. And if he asked the drummer, he's Johnny C also. He said, well, how the heck do I tell you apart? I said, my middle initial, Monsignor. What's your middle initial? D. David? No. Daniel? No. Well, what's the D stand for, he said. And I said, the D's for disinfectant. He said, disinfectant? Why disinfectant? I said, Monsignor, you should know. Anytime you have three Johns that close together, you need disinfectant. So he said, you're a nutcase. That's why they closed Fatima. So... That's about it. And uh, so we're there on the 29th, right? Correct. And now he's promoted to bishop. He's yeah. one step away from being pope. How about that? The local guy. Wow. So. He might be a pope. He could be. Maybe not wow. in our lifetime. So speaking of local guys, a little bit more about your background, where you're from, what you did and what you do. My background, I'm sitting in the in the place where I was born very close to it. I was born on Erdick Street. They refer to it as the Back Street. And now I'm at 8216 Craig Street. And I went to Joseph H. Brown School, as did my grandson. Went to Abraham Lincoln High School because Father Judge was not completed yet being built. And much to the priest's demise and dismay, he came over on my eighth grade graduation and said, Mr. Carpenetta, you're going to go to Father Judge and be a CPA. And I said, Padre, what is a CPA? And he said, oh, brother, a CPA, certified public accountant. This is a true story, too. And I said to him, what is a, uh, what is a CPA? He said, I don't want to be a CPA, Padre. What do you want to be? I said, I want to be like my father. My father was standing right next to me right out on the sun porch, eighth grade. And I said, I want to be a carpenter. And he said, well, carpenters don't make no money. I said, well, I read in a book, Father, about carpenter that did pretty darn good, you know. And with that, his veins were popping, and he walked out the door. And then I ended up at Our Lady of Lincoln. And the rest is history. Graduated from Lincoln, and um, the highlight of... My high school thing was uh, playing football there and taking home the city championship. The, uh, we were public league champions, and we played the Catholic League, and they play off 27,000 people at Franklin Field, and they wrote us off. The Bulletin Inquirer wrote us off, and we came along with a win, 28-20, to 20, with over LaSalle College High School. So that's about it. And... um 
happy to be here. So it wasn't long after graduating high school that you were drafted into the military. Right, right. My uncle sent me a letter, a guy named Uncle Sam, and they didn't have a lottery then, so I was 20, I'm 24 years old, and I left Philadelphia on Tuesday, canceled the wedding, which was intended to be on Saturday, and left the band called the Esquire Boys, who had the top 17 tune in the nation, a thing called Caravan, and that's it. Got on a train and headed toward Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And upon arriving at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, I was greeted. And they said, y'all get back on the bus. There ain't no room for y'all here. And where are we going? You're going down to Fort Gordon, Georgia, in Augusta. And went to Fort Gordon, and that was it. Two years at Fort Gordon and uh, the home of the Masters Tournament. And uh, that's where I spent the next two years. And believe it or not, that's how I became acquainted with golf. I never touched a golf club. And my first sergeant uh, said to me one day, he called me Alphabet, a long Italian name, so he'd Alphabet. Y'all put your class A uniform on and get out to the tournament. I said, Sarge, what is a tournament? He said, don't be smart, Yankee. Talk about Masters tournament. Now get your class A uniform on going out to the tournament tomorrow. And y'all root for Arnold Palmer, you hear me? I said, yes, Sergeant, I hear you. So the first golf course I was ever on was Augusta National. And uh, Cinderella's story, never dreaming that. And 43 years later, I would come back with a PGA card to get into the Masters tournament. And uh, that's it. Yeah. Cinderella's story. So Arnie's Army was not necessarily a reference to the legion of fans that followed Arnold Palmer. Absolutely not. Arnold's army was dedicated and uh, came into existence from all of the servicemen that served anywhere near, anywhere near the South. They were ordered to go to the masters. Arnold himself was a a sailor, served a veteran and, um, he won the Masters in 58, 60, 62, and 64. I was lucky enough to go back in 1970, and then 78. And then I went down with my friend Mike Mazio. And what Scott Hoke, I think, wanted that year, or he gave it up that year to someone else. And, um, and that's it. But uh, my last Masters was 2005. I went with a fellow pro named Jimmy Jones. Alan Jones's son and Tiger Woods. I was in 2005. Tiger won the Masters with that incredible chip shot. I think on 16, and that was it. So you never played any golf prior to being in the military. Never played any golf. No, I was asked by the um, the golf coach at Lincoln High School. They were short two players. He said, Johnny, he said, go to go to the football team and get me two players. I don't want to lose to Frankfurt this Thursday by forfeit. Two of my guys got the flu. And I solicited the golf team, including myself. And there was no takers, no cheerleaders, no touchdowns, no fans. So, and that was a dreadful mistake. I wish I would have started then instead of uh, 1970 after I got out of the Army. 
But um, yeah. So golf is one of the more challenging sports to become proficient at. So how did you adapt to that challenge being such a late starter? I think I looked at uh, different uh, players, uh, different players that started at an older age. You know, Dr. Carrie Middlecoff, uh, accomplished dentist, and uh, and I had like a lot of a lot of good pros around me, and uh, and Jim Bogan. I can never uh, never uh, thank Jim Bogan enough for for his uh, confidence in me, his ability to work there, and um, nudging me to go to uh, take the PAT and get into the golf program. My first job at Ben Salem, uh, ben Salem uh, Country Club, it was called Cornwell's then. I was a, uh, a janitor. I simply took a part-time job cleaning there, and that was the start of it. And then, But the Jim Bogan is like uh, flies under the radar as far as his um, commitment to golf. And if I... I can name on my hand five pros that would have been out of out of the business had it not been Jim Bogan uh, assisting them, letting those guys teach there. Gary Harden was one of them. John Carson was another one. Devin Peterson. There's three right off the top of my head. He saved them all. So uh, Jim Bogan is top guy. What kept you coming back to golf? Starting as a part-time job, did you take the job to get closer to the game or to develop on things that were troubling in terms of progressing athletically with the game? So what, what kept you coming back to playing golf? I guess I guess the same fire that kept me uh, playing football, you know, uh, not always winning, losing. And... Um, on my resume states, and they asked me at at the um, at the PGA uh, school in Port St. Lucie. They noticed on my resume. I said, "Mr. Carpenter, said, uh, see on your resume here, said uh, he was two years on tour. He said, was it the minute tour in West Palm? No, sir. He said, was it was the Jack Nicklaus tour in Orlando? I said, no, sir. He said, well, what tour were you on, son? I said I was on the PAT tour for two years, the playing ability test tour. I kept failing and failing. In fact, I, in the Philadelphia section, I hold the record for the amount of states, five states I failed it in over 15 times and finally got it done on August the 3rd, 1998 at um, Pinecrest. But... Uh, in answer to your question, that was uh, that was the motivation, uh, and once again, it was Jim Bogan who pushed and helped me, and uh, Joe Data helped me, Tony Perla helped me, and uh, Johnny Carson helped me with my game, and uh, the girl with the short game down the shore deserves the credit to her. her name is Stacy Bunker, uh, great woman golf professional, and she's in Florida now. Stacy Bunker was at Wildwood Country Club. She helped me with my short game. And uh, that short game came in handy on that PAT that you eventually yeah. passed. Yeah. The target score was 153, <clears throat> and um, that was it. 
76, 77 is what I shot. It was difficult, 36 holes in one day at age 63. So we had a 12-footer downhill to make it, make the target score, and that was it. Made the putt, dropped my putter, started crying. My caddy, George Schweitzer, he started crying. And, in fact, no one picked up the putter, and the putter came through the mail that November from Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, with no name, but I had a name band on my putter. It said that um, 1303 West Pine Street. So the putter came back with one of the one of the competitors in the uh, in the PAT. Sent it back. So got a break there. So that was what year was that that we passed the PAT? Yeah, it was August the 3rd, uh, 1998, at Pinecrest, it was called. And, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was quite a day. And um, I, I failed in five different states. I went to Georgia and took it in Georgia, missed it by two. Then I missed it by one stroke at Princeton Meadows. I had to chip it in. From the on the 18th green, and the ball hung on the side of the cup, didn't drop in, and that I missed it there by one stroke. And uh, so, but we got it done. We got the job done. So fast forward 24 years later, now as a professional, how did you come to be involved in the PGA Hope program? The PGA Hope program was uh, how I became involved. I was um, I was always fascinated at the spring and fall meetings as an apprentice. And at the end of the meeting, they had all the past presidents up at the table, and each one of the past presidents would always um, have a chance to say a few words. And when it became Jack Conley's uh, turn, he said the same thing every spring, every fall. Let me remind you, he said, if you see a veteran or anybody in uniform coming off a train or a plane, thank them for their service. Thank them for the service. And one thing that always stood out in my mind was thank them for the service, you know. And um, that stuck with me. And then um, when I passed the uh, playing ability test and got the, my PGA card, Two years later, I wrote to the VA, uh, VA in Philadelphia and said, uh, if I'd like to give something back to the veterans. And, and two days later, my mailbox was jammed with 11, 11 letters of like, uh, take this, take a look at this, take a look at that. So I was invited to um, participate in the first swing amputee program held by the Philadelphia Medical Center in Philadelphia, at which time Chris Nowak, who's now a PGA official with the HOPE program, came out to see me teach. And uh, that was it. So I was with the first swing years before uh, they started the REACH program. So I, I fell right into it, and it was pretty natural because I, I knew had learned a, a lot of things uh, about uh, veterans and amp uh, amputees 
disabled players. So the work with veterans, amputees, disabled players had started before the PGA had developed this concept of helping our patriots everywhere. Is that correct? Well, it's correct, but the PGA was always involved with, uh, even in the Second World War, they had programs, and one of the biggest things that the PGA ever did was they sent many, many ambulances to the medical units all over the world. The PGA was responsible for that, and they had uh, teams of rehabilitation. So even though the PGA reach came in in the last five, six, seven years, something like that, the PGA was always cognizant, always cognizant and and, and rewarding and, and showing, uh, giving back to the veterans, always. How do you see your role as a PGA member and a veteran in extending the PGA's long-standing tradition of honoring and reaching out, helping veterans? My role is pretty simple. It's to um, pass on a mentor and be a mentee myself. By that I mean I want to learn, constantly learn more uh, about the new prostheses, the, the new gadgets that they have, and we we won't be satisfied. Our ultimate goal is to get the 22 su- daily suicides down. It's not our responsibility totally. It's the nation's responsibility to look better and take better care of, the, of our veterans. The daily suicide rate is dropping, but it's not dropping fast enough. From 22 to 17 is a great stride, but that's still too too much. And through golf and the Wounded Warrior Program and the EGA, Eastern Amputee Golf Program, and all these different VA programs and your, your uh, VFWs, your American Legions, and we have to gang up as Americans and resolve this, prob- this problem. We don't need to see any veteran on the corner holding a sign, help me, I'm homeless. That is, that's a disgrace. And I've spoken to many, many veterans who served overseas, amputees that have served overseas, and the treatment that we have is far superior to that of other countries where they just give them walking sticks and pills, and that's it. They're totally forgotten. But we, we still have to... Um, we still have to gain and smash that down. That's amongst men and women veterans, too. We cannot forget the women who served all across our nation. Is that the main motivation why you continue to be involved in this program? That's the main motivation. That's the, that should be the, the ultimate goal of everyone. It should be the goal of every veteran who picks up a golf club, that he'll keep his ears and his eyes open and listen and watch for the red flags. There's red flags. These guys don't just go out there and, and hurt themselves without any warning. They give warnings, but they're not they're not heated, you know. 
So it's everybody's responsibility, not just Johnny C, not just the PGA, it's fellow veterans, you know. They have to look after each other the same way they did on the battlefield, the same way they did on the battlefield to get back out of there. That's a, a reminiscent of Tiger Woods and give back. Oh, Tiger's father said to Major, uh, what's his name? Tiger Chan. And he said, when I get back, I'm going to name my first son after you. Because that major, that Arvin, South Vietnamese major, pulled Tiger's father off of the battlefield. He wasn't wounded, but pulled him off there. And he said, I'll make it up to you. So he made it up to it. And uh, the rest is history. They never could find him, you know. But um, Earl Woods may do. We have to keep uh, keep watching and keep an eye out. Get that suicide rate down. That's the main thing. How would you say the HOPE program has impacted your life after military service? I think the HOPE impact, it has impacted my life. Um in different ways, in different ways, some some uh, uh, some ways. I when my students say they want to talk and they tell me stories about Nam, and I was not, I was never in country, although I'm a Vietnam veteran, officially classified a Vietnam veteran by the Department of the Army. The uh, the stories that I've heard at the golf course making the students feel better after they tell me the story. I go home and have trouble shutting my eyes at night because I think, why was I lucky? Why was I lucky? And why wasn't I there? You know, I was on orders twice, but they revoked the orders because they didn't have any any clerks in um, in Fort Gordon. To, you know, that's what my job was. I was a 7-1-B-20 that was a personnel specialist. And a lot of my friends were 1-1 Bravo, light weapons infantrymen, you know, and a couple of them never returned from uh, Vietnam, as Lyndon Johnson called it. So going forward, what's, what's next? You know, we've accomplished, you've accomplished so much through the PGA. What What's next for the next? If you had to say, what's the three to five year plan going to look like going forward? How would you describe that? Well, selfishly, I describe it as I I am going to take a few golf lessons from my friend, Megan Franchella at the cricket club. And Megan doesn't know yet, but she's going to help me with my short game. And um, I'm, Looking at that selfishly, but not unselfishly, because she was six years on the LPGA tour, Megan Franchella. And a little bit about Megan uh, in her second LPGA appearance. She uh, had a four-hole playoff against a girl that maybe you heard of her name. Let me think of how you pronounce it. Onika, Onika, Sorenstam. Come on, you know what, guys. It's huh? Onika. Soren Stam, yeah, that's who she beat in a four-hole playoff. 
And uh, she's over at the cricket club. They love her over there, as they do all their teachers. Spina all the way down the line, and um, Bill Sauter, the whole crew under under Jim Smith. And uh, we were over there. We played had the pro am over there last week, and it was fantastic. What a paradise! What a paradise! And then, and uh, guess what? We raised up seventy five thousand dollars that day. Seventy five grand. Yep. Yeah. Thanks to PGA and the support of everyone, the Pro-Am teams and all. But uh, look, five years, uh, five years, I'm looking, I'm looking for the, the towns and maybe the sections that are maybe in low attendance uh, to, to grow and have a chapter there. Whoever would have thought that the Philadelphia section would have seven chapters now? In just a short period of time, with with the staff that we have running and here and there, graduations, golf marathons, a hundred holes, and the donations this week, and golf in school. I don't know. I'm I'm so blessed to be in in the Philadelphia section and under Jeff Sorrett, It's incredible. I can't say enough. His assistant Barbara Kreving, Sue Unger, all the way down the list. Matt Fry, Brian, and. Uh, it's terrific out in the field and Carl and Ellen and, and the whole crew. New interns, Aaron, Rachel, Josh, and um, uh, Lila Mackey is, was, deserve a lot of credit along with Courtney Curcio. And um, I hope I didn't miss anybody. If I did, um, I apologize. But um, yeah, there's, uh, there's going to be Whoever thought there would be all these different chapters, and uh, and and there's more room because there's more veterans, and um, yeah. All right, I think that's all we have for today. That it. Well, I appreciate appreciate the questions. I appreciate my grandson's effort out at the out at the pro am at the uh, cricket club, which is fantastic. I appreciate uh, the questions asked by my son and a very talented pianist sharing with me. And uh, thank you very much. Go Phils. And uh, I'm looking for a four-game sweep to re, um, re, re get rid of the ghost of 1950 when our whiz kids went to the uh, World Series and it was a lot closer too than people thought. It was one nothing, a couple times, and uh, so uh, that let's go, Phils. One game at a time. That's right. And thank you, Rothman, and thank you, Phillies, for the honor of the hometown hero. That was splendid, and I'm glad to share that. That's a good way to communicate the hope message. Have it broadcast on. Fanavision in a major league stadium. Yep, 43,000 people looking at it. Okie doke. Thank you, guys.